0: to The Coaching Podcast, coach for success in sport and business. Hello and welcome to The Coaching Podcast. I'm Emma Doyle, here with Darren Cahill. Uh, I'm in Colorado. Darren's in Adelaide, I believe. Is that right, mate?
1: That's right, Emma. How are
0: you? Yeah, doing great, thanks. Listen, we'll jump straight into it. The uh, The first question is anchovies on a pizza. You either love it or you hate it. What's your take?
1: Absolutely hate it. <laughs>
0: Okay, because you answered that way, um, our follow-up question: would you share with us your worst coaching moment?
1: Uh, worst coaching moment? Well, there's been a few. I, I think when I started so young, when I jumped into coaching with Leighton Hewitt as a youngster, he was about 12 years of age. Obviously, you learn on the go. So, the guy, I think that. Whilst you can, the easy ones to point to would be strategy moments, would be uh, bad coaching moments when you send your player onto the court and the strategy doesn't quite work out, mm. and the player doesn't find a way to get through those strategy moments and ends up losing a match, and uh, you feel like just a, a word in the ear midway uh, through the match can change the course. Of course, we can do that now with the WTA coaching, where we can come down once a set which has made the coach's role a lot more important and more interactive with the player. But I would say that the biggest thing I learned as far as coaching is a big difference between culture and leadership. And I think I was a little bit old school in the sense that showing great leadership has always been really important for me. But uh, I found over the years that building a great culture within in the team it is much more important. Uh, just shoot back to a little example that I had straight after Simona made the final of Roland Garrish. She ended up losing to Osterpanko after being up a set and a break. And that sort of nine to ten week period after that particular match, uh, with me being the captain of the team, the coach of the team, you know, I really thought that showing great leadership and being strong in those moments and getting Simona back on the court and being so close to number one in the world and winning her first ever major, showing that leadership and and sort of directing how things should go from there. Uh, it was a little too much for the team and I ruined the culture of the team for about eight to 10 weeks. And it wasn't until she lost that first round match at the US Open against Maria Sharapova that I realized that I'd actually messed up the culture and that I'd become a little unapproachable uh, within the team, even though I was the coach. And it wasn't until someone t- tapped me on the shoulder, the strength and conditioning trainer tapped me on the shoulder and said, mate, you're pushing way too hard. I reckon every now and then you just got to go up to our player and give her a hug and tell her tell her that we all love her and uh, I reckon that would go a lot, long, lot further than uh, trying to show strong leadership and he was absolutely right so that was a great lesson for me that making sure that you address the culture within the team is probably more important than showing great leadership sometimes. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Fantastic, thank you so much for sharing uh, that story um, and uh, just a, a quick one on your best coaching moment and maybe a lesson or two there.
1: Look, I think the best coaching moment for me or the most satisfying coaching moment would have been when Simona finally won uh, Mm -hmm. the French Open the year after against Sloane Stephens and it was a little bit the opposite because she was down a set and a break in that particular match and I guess when you take on any player you look at the weaknesses the player has you try to work out a plan how to strengthen those areas up and you certainly concentrate on the strength and make sure that the weapons that the player has continues to improve but one of the things that I've always tried to help Simona with is the transition game forward to the net to make sure she takes more advantage of the great baseline shots that she hits and every opportunity that she does have to take some time away from her opponent is to come forward, play a traditional volley or a swing volley. I, I don't care, just come forward and mm. try to squeeze your opponent a little bit. And, and we'd work on it a lot. It didn't really come into play in too many of her matches, but when she was down a set and a break against Sloane she finally decided to come forward that very next game she came in four times out of nowhere and she put four volleys away and she completely changed the course of that match and how it was going and Sloane started to change the way she played because Simona had become more aggressive and I hear you do hours and hours and hours of practice sessions and trying to work out drills to make your player more comfortable to come forward and transition to the net. And when they do it in a big moment and it changes the course of a match and she finally ends up winning her first Grand Slam, uh, that was a really proud moment. That's
0: awesome. That's awesome. The next question is the sliding doors question. I
1: think from a coaching point of view, I would say firstly from a playing point of view, when I was about 15 or 16, my father actually comes from an AFL background. He was a... Uh, good player for the Port Adelaide Football Club and then a famous coach for the Port Adelaide Football Club for many, many years and actually went off to Coach Collingwood for a couple of years as well and at 15 or 16 I kind of had to make a decision as to what sport I was going to play, whether it be football down that path, which I was doing at that time, and I was okay at it, or whether it not to, to take on tennis, which mm. is a full time commitment. So I took the risk and took on tennis, and I've never regretted it since then. It's been, whilst my career, playing career, finished a little bit early, certainly was lucky enough to land at my feet and get a couple of great coaching jobs. And I guess the other big one was after I finished with Leighton Hewitt in 2002, I had two chances to coach one was to coach Murat Safin and the other one was to take Agassiz. And I decided to take on the 32-year-old Andre Agassi. Uh, He was already an all-time great. He was already um, One of the legends of the game. He was 32 years of age. He'd had trouble with his wrist So it was a big risk Mm. as to whether or not to Commit to a player of that age and knowing that Safin was 23 and he had the world in front of him and he'd already won the US Open as well but I really thought that Even if I spent six weeks with a guy or six months with a guy, I knew that I was going to come out of it a much better coach because of the fact that I knew him a little bit as a friend during the playing career as well. I actually played him a couple of times. I knew he was pretty complicated, incredibly smart, um, certainly breaks down a tennis match like no one else can. So spending time one-on-one with Andre uh, was too good of an offer to read to to pass up and I ended up spending five or six years uh, with him he played until he was 36 years of age and I reckon I learned more in those five or six Mm -hmm. years than than most coaches would be lucky enough to learn in a lifetime so it, it was wonderful
0: in one to a maximum of three words what do you think makes a great coach
1: listen resilience and evolve
0: Listen, Resilience and Evolve. Fantastic. And finally, our last question is where we ask you to ask us a question.
1: Well, I want to know how they get through the difficult moments. So... I think anybody can coach in any sport when things are going well that's the easy part but it's when things are difficult when you've got some culture issues when you've got some difficult losses uh, when you've got some players within a team or a player that's an individual player that's uh, making the same mistakes over and over again how do you address those and do you go through the front door or the side door or the back door or is it because of the different personalities of the players that you have to try to address those differently. You know, I'm really fascinated how different coaches get to the bottom of issues and how much, I think the biggest question I normally have is how much they focus on the weaknesses of a player compared to the strengths of a player Mm -hmm. and I know from tennis it's more like an 80-20 split you try to concentrate 80% on the strengths and build those strengths to a point where you're either uh, putting up barriers around those weaknesses or disguising those weaknesses um, but other sports are a little bit different and if you get great tennis players they can find weaknesses in any type of player so you have to concentrate at some point on those weaknesses so I'd like to know from other coaches you now what what is the kind of ratio that they concentrate on the strengths compared to the weaknesses and how do they build that resilience within players yeah. athletes
0: fantastic thank you so much for your time Darren I really appreciate it anytime Emma The Coaching Podcast was brought to you by Emma Doyle and Simon Blair. Simon Blair is a business owner of 5 Degrees. He's a sales and customer service assessor, trainer, and coach. And you can find him at fivedegrees.com.au, as in F-I-V-E. And I'm a global speaker and performance coach helping you unleash your potential. You can find me at emmadoyle.com.au. Thank you for listening to The Coaching Podcast. (laughs) i <laughs>